You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. Hi, I'm Deb. I'm here with my husband, Mike, the host of Mike Seminary and Friends. And hon, this week, you it gets real, doesn't it? It gets very real. We have Dave and Pastor Jose, and they're in the... One of the worst ghettos in the country, Watts, where the, that's the home of the Bloods and the Crips. And these guys are out there helping young kids find Jesus. That's awesome. It is. I can't wait to hear it. Welcome to Mike Seminary and Friends. Every once in a while, and I think it's the good Lord's work. Uh, I'm blessed to have guests that are doing work that most of us probably couldn't on our own figure out who's doing this kind of work. How is somebody helping some of those individuals that are probably in really desperate uh situations that sometimes cause people to do desperate things, you know, in the heart, they're good people. And just because of environment and circumstances, they don't have some of the advantages some of us do. And it were, were it not for people with great hearts, uh, in my personal opinion, people that have great faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus, uh, some of this work just doesn't get done. And not too long ago, I had the great pleasure of it just it was kind of a miracle. I'm on a Bible study call one day and with my group, and there's a guy on named Dave Hatfield, and he says, "Hey, I'm in Bismarck, North Dakota, where I live." And we we just happened to meet, and I learned about his wonderful work, Livingstone Global. And a while back, Dave told me about a fellow by the name of Pastor Jose Hernandez, and how they were going to spend some time in Watts. Place I've never been to. I've heard a lot about it, of course. It's in, I believe, in East Los Angeles. And they were uh, in Watts together, working with young people, probably adults as well, that um, need help from somebody and from the good Lord as well. And so I'm just incredibly blessed today to have both of them on Mike's Seminary and Friends. Dave Hatfield, who's in California today on his way to Naguro, Kenya, probably sometime next week, and Pastor Jose Hernandez, who has his work in his church, and we're going to talk about all of that uh, in, in a moment. Both of you, Dave and Pastor Jose, welcome to Mike's Seminary and Friends. It's great to see you. I'm sorry about that long introduction. How are you, gentlemen, this morning? I'll go to you first, Pastor Jose. Um, um, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on, and I look forward to just having this conversation today. I'm glad you're here. And Dave, it's great to see you again. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having us on, uh, Mike, so we can share what God's doing in our uh, in our communities that uh, share some things in common, but are on opposite sides of the world. Yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, I think both Pastor Jose and I are learning a little more about God and how he connects people and just the uh, uh, unlimited love that he has for people. Amen. Pastor Jose, but before you joined us, I let Dave know that here I am in Bismarck, North Dakota. It's April 13th. I run every day, five miles in the morning, and we're in the middle of a two-day blizzard. But that doesn't stop me 
from getting out in the snow and enjoying all this work that he does. We need the moisture. And so now you know just what kind of a weirdo I am, that I'm out running in a blizzard before we do our podcast together. So take that for what it's worth. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy too. Uh, Pastor Jose, I, I did a little research uh, before we linked up here this morning and read Calvary Chapel Magazine and the wonderful work that you're doing. Share with us, please, what Hope Central Watts is, how you became involved, and the wonderful work that you're doing. Tell us something about that, please. So um, Calvary Chapel, uh, Calvary, I'm, I'm sorry, Hope Central Watts uh, is a church that I planted uh September 11, 2011. And I come out of, you know, the Calvary Chapel movement. And in the beginning, you know, I, I went to Watts because I grew up there. And I knew what the need was. But I, I believe that in, in the beginning, I wanted to create something that I just loved. You know, I loved my church and I wanted to just, you know, why, you know, why, why reinvent the wheel, you know, uh, just take what I have here and know here and then just do it over there. Um, but um, I soon found out that that was not going to be the case. Uh, God is doing something new in a place where Watts is in South Central LA, not East LA. Um, and in South Central LA, you know, we have Watts, South Central LA, Watts, Compton, Linwood, Inglewood. But Watts in particular, it's a place where you have a high concentration of government housing, a place where uh, poverty, uh, crime, you know, it, it's a place where all those things reign. And, and for myself, um, I guess for me, growing up there, I, I am an, an ex-gang member. You know, I was one of those uh kids when I was young running amok in those streets and and doing a lot of bad things and and, and I guess you know um, God has a sense of humor because I never wanted to go back to Watts I never and I'm, I'm not even making a an exaggeration I never wanted to go back to Watts and I think a lot of people it's the same sentiment you know they, they've experienced a lot of trauma in a place like Watts and they and in the moment that they get an opportunity to leave, they want to get as far away from it as possible. And but you know, those two words that I love in the Bible, but God. And, and so God had a plan to after um my experiences, my my traumas, my my criminal background, uh, to bring me back to a place to be used by him as a witness of his mercy and of his grace. And so here I am 11 years later, uh, still uh, plowing uh, the ground because it's very, very difficult ground. And so that's a, like in a nutshell, that's a little, a little snippet of, of, of what, of who I am and where I am. And, you know, we could definitely get into a lot of things. <laughs> well, well, thank you pastor for sharing that. And we could talk for hours about, trauma, its impacts, and how some people, if you haven't lived through that, if you don't know people that have gone through trauma and sometimes generational trauma, you, you don't quite appreciate how that impacts the person's soul and their ability to 
be productive at all. I also found it interesting that you said you had no intention, didn't want to go back to Watts. And I suspect, so I have a question here. I suspect it was because you lived it, because you were a gang member, because you had been in trouble, you thought to yourself, why would I go back there to the same environment that kind of created the previous Pastor Jose? Is that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that, you know, I knew I knew where God was calling me back to. I knew that that the 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 reality for experiencing, you know, violence again, experiencing, you know, I knew that those things were, were real. And so from like, I've gotten, or I'm so far from all those things, like, why would I want to go back? And, 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 and so um, it, it was a, it was a wrestling match with God and, and we know who wins, right. <laughs> but it, it's better than I could have ever thought or imagined. David, how did this former stockbroker that spends most of his time now over the last 10 plus years, I think, forgive me if I I don't have that accurate, over in Nagoro, Kenya, working with the population there, how did you and Pastor Jose happen to connect and then end up doing work last weekend in Watts? Yeah. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, it's re- our, our paths couldn't probably be more different, uh, Jose and I, in, in terms of how we met, because I came from um, almost an opposite world where um, the, the the every opportunity was open to me to excel and achieve, and and I did, and I was fortunate enough to do that. Um, but then when I became a Christian, God opened up my eyes and my heart to this community that lived around a dump site in uh, Nakuru, Kenya. And uh, I have just finished writing a, a book and there was a missions conference that Calvary Chapel was having. And I had a table set up and there's um, pictures of our community there. And, uh, you know, I, I'm talking about the, the gang members that are in our, our community in Nakuru. Um, and, Jose just started to listen. I think he kind of looked at me like this guy is experiencing so much of the same circumstance that, that I am. And we started talking and we, we had a meal together and God just knitted our hearts together. Uh, And uh, I, I really think that's the way that God's economy works is he takes people from different backgrounds, from, 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 different tribes and tongues and everything else. Right. And makes us his family, gives us a purpose and brings us together. And for, I know that for pastor Jose and myself, we encourage one another. It's not easy (laughs) to day after day serve in, in these populations. And there's a lot of heartbreak. And sometimes you wonder if you're making a difference and all that, but to find a brother that's doing the same thing with the same similar calling, um, we just hit it off immediately mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a blessing to me. Help me with one thing, Dave, cause you just mentioned, uh, Calvary chapel. I'm familiar with 
the magazine that I just read today, I'm somewhat familiar within that article that I think somehow Pastor Jose's church might be attached. I'm not sure, but tell me what Calvary Chapel is. Maybe you're best to answer that, Pastor Jose. So Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of churches. Um, uh, You know, we're non-denominational, denominational, because we're Calvary Chapel. But Calvary Chapel was birthed out of the uh, Jesus movement. I guess it was in like the, I want to say the 60s. And and so Pastor Chuck Smith, and he was actually, um, if I recall correctly, uh, on Life magazine, where it said, you know, where it was like the, the Jesus movement. And, it, and so Calvary Chapel was birthed out of that. And so there's about 1,800 churches all over the world that, that call themselves Calvary Chapel. And it's non-denominational, but we're just a, a fellowship of believers who who teach the word of God faithfully, you know, cover to cover, and who, uh, you know, believe in Jesus Christ as our, our Lord and Savior, and who uh, just prescribe to being faithful to the teaching of the word of God. And so um, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa is where, where it all started. And, and, and again, it started in the early, and I want to say it's in the 60s, because I don't think it was the 70s, but it might have been one or the other. But the fact is that, you know, they, they, they basically minister to the people that nobody wanted to minister to. Mm. And it started with the hippies. And so Pastor Chuck Smith was one of those guys where he came out of the Foursquare denomination. And, and at one point, you know, um, his wife Kay basically said, Hey, you know, like these kids, they need Jesus. Let's, let's, let's bring them on in. And, and thousands and thousands and thousands. And I'm not even joking how much of thousands of, of, of people started coming to church. And then of course, you know, the, 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 the older guard was worried about the carpet and he was the kind of guy who his heart was to reach the young generation that, he basically told them, you know, if the carpet's an issue for these kids to come in and, and be saved, and I'm paraphrasing, tear out the carpet, tear it out. <laughs> and and so he he he's reached right now. If you go back and you just do, you know, a search on Calvary Chapel, God used this man who was faithful to his word and to and to God and to his family, and he's used them to to reach, I would say, millions of people all over the world. And, and um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. By, by the way, thank you, Pastor Jose. For the record, the Bible study that I referenced when we started our discussion, the leader of that Bible study, Howard Dahl, started this Bible study, I think, 43 years ago. And he was one of those people while in college during the Jesus movement, they came to be a believer. So you are absolutely spot on with the timeline because I've had the pleasure because of COVID, by the way, to join this Bible study group. So you started September of 2011. Yes, sir. What From day one, how did you approach the work to go into the streets of where you grew up and you were a former gang member 
and start witnessing to, I don't want to say kids, but to everybody. How, how did you do that? So we actually started um, reaching the community around March of 2011. And, 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 and what we started, and again, we had been praying in my house, you know, I had a, maybe like three people that, that wanted to, to kind of go with me and help. And, and so after praying at my house for a while, you know, God put it on my heart to go out to Watts and to just drive around. I hadn't been to Watts in over 30 years at this point, give or take. I didn't want to go back to Watts, you know, and if, if I ever, cause um, if I ever drove through there because I had gone far enough and I had made somewhat of a name for myself in corporate America by this time, you know, and, and there's a lot, again, we could speak for hours. I would once in a while drive through there on the main streets with my doors locked and my windows up just to keep myself humble, you know, of where I came from. <laughs> but this time it was different because God was calling me to a place where I didn't want to go. And I figured, you know what, I, I think we should pray. And so we started driving around praying one, one day and God told me, go to the park. Now I hadn't been to this park in about 30 years. And so we started so we went to this park and, you know, I basically asked the director there, you know, it's a city park, you know, we're thinking about planning a church, you know, would you guys be open to, you know, and of course, right away, the thing was like, nope, I don't think so. That's not going to work here. And so then <laughs> uh, as we're walking out, you know, God said, well, ask them about volunteers because it was dead. Like there was nothing going on there. And so I turned back and I said, would you guys need a couple of volunteers? And so all of a sudden he perked up in his chair and he said, yeah, we, we can use some volunteers. And, and so go to this person right there on the other office and, and sign up and blah, blah, blah. And so we basically just started serving the community on Friday nights every night uh, from March 2011. And we would come and we would do food and we would do Xbox tournaments, three on three tournaments. You know, we were we were just and, and what's amazing is. That when we first started, and I have a picture of a counter there at the park, and I remember we had like chicken tostadas. You know, we had we had I think on that counter we had uh, about 20, 20 chicken tostadas. And the last big event that we did there before COVID, um, we we had a sit down catered Thanksgiving dinner. And we served about a thousand plates of Thanksgiving dinner to the community, uh, like about eight, nine years later. And so we just started there at the park, you know, ministering to the needs of the community and and uh, just loving on the people and and serving and, and just serving. So volunteers worked, planning a church, maybe not so much. 20 toast hours to over a thousand plates served in a place you had no interest going back to, kind of like Jonah. I mean, you didn't have a choice. You had to go because it wasn't your decision. <laughs> what you wanted didn't matter anymore. Correct. But it was in, it was in the neighborhood. It was, it was in the hood where you were a, a gang member, had trouble, came from 
a fractured home like lots of guys. That day, that day where you served the 20 tostadas, what was happening in your heart that day? You know what? The wrestling was happening. And the wrestling was this. You know, there was a young African-American guy who came with me from South Orange County. And I say young because he was like 21 or 22. And so South Orange County and South Central LA could not be more different than it's it's like um I don't know, like like a Beverly Hills, you know, and and the ghetto. And so my thoughts were I'm gonna come and set this guy up and then I'm gonna leave. <laughs> I'm being honest, you know, like my thoughts were like, you know, I'm not I'm I'm going to come and, you know, maybe this is how good. Because one, I was like petrified of speaking in front of people. And then two, it was like, you know, I'm going to run into somebody that I jumped or jumped me or someone that I did something to when I was young. And, 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 you know, I was thinking about all these things that, that might or might not happen. And, and so I, I had an exit strategy, you know, I, I, I had a, I had a, I had a plan. And, and, and so I was wrestling with that at that point, I, I still had in my mind that, that I was going to bounce. Mm. But by the way, South orange, isn't that where there's a big church there. I mean, there's a mega church. I don't know if it's Rick Warren. Somebody has a mega church there. It is. Yeah. It's Saddleback. Yeah. Saddleback. Thank you. Dave, your first yeah. experience. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Pa- no, 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 go ahead. I was going to okay. say there's also the Crystal Cathedral, but now I don't know what it is. Oh, that, but that I, used to be ginormous. Yeah, yeah. Your first, was it last weekend or the weekend before when you were in Watts? It was probably two weeks ago. That was your first time in Watts? That was in that was my first time on purpose in, in Watts. I used to work in downtown Los Angeles and... On a lot of midnight flights back from the airport, a lot of times the freeway was closed. And so they would send traffic off through Inglewood and Watts and Compton and stuff just so I could get back home. Um, I didn't stop at a lot of stoplights uh, at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but uh, right, <laughs> right, Jose, I mean, it's harder <laughs> to hit a moving target. And uh, and and so, um, yeah, so it was it was a little interesting. Um what was going through my head too, traveling to a community that I don't know. Um, and, uh, with my wife and my 25 year old, you know, with our youngest son, uh, to come and connect with this community, but also to, to, uh, help support Jose and let him know he's not alone and that he's loved. And how long had you known each other at that time? A month. Yeah. Maybe a month. month. Yeah. So it begs the question, and maybe this is for non-believers. There's, I, there, I would to say the, the, the other way. For believers, there's only one answer. For non-believers, they might not get it at all. How was it possible for you, Dave, who, who no, barely knows a guy, you're going into arguably one of the more challenging uh, ghettos in the country, if if not in the country, clearly in California, and it it can be dangerous. It has been for a long time. 
Of course, you've experienced some of that in the curl. How is it possible that you said, ah, I'm going to take my wife and my son, we're going to go down with Pastor Jose, and we're going to do some witnessing. Tell me how that worked. Um, I, I think it's really come from a, from a place where once you surrender your life and your will to God, and you say yes to things, um, God just continues to put you in, in front of situations that you may not be, uh, you know, you may not have studied or done any preparation for, but he's done this preparing in your heart and you just show up and you just say yes. And you just do the next thing. You just bring those, those 20 tostadas and, and set them on the table. And, you know, Jose's flesh is thinking, Hey, I got a way out of here if I need it. But God was <laughs> like, just bring them and show up. And, and I mean, like I'm in a dump site in, in the center of Africa. You know, it's, it's, um, it just doesn't make any sense that a guy like me would be able to walk through a community of 15,000 people in a city of a million that are the biggest drug dealers. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a violent place, but the thing that happened, and this is what happened with Jose when I was listening to his story. Oh, we come in with our plan. I'm going to set up a church and then I'm going to be able to influence people. But what happened was instead he volunteered. He had, he had, he had to let them know that he loved him and that he was there to create a relationship. Once you have that relationship and once the people know you love them, they, they will let you walk with them. They're looking for that love, even in these places that are so dark. They're starved for it. They don't know what it feels like, though. But it's attractive. Mm -hmm. When you come and serve and feed and you listen to people, eventually they get around to what makes you tick and what makes you different. Because the Jose that showed up 30 years later wasn't the same Jose as before. His heart was changed. You know, the same was the same was true. Um for me. So, um, it's just a process, Mike. It, uh, if you had asked me, you know, a month after I got baptized, would I go to Watson, hang out with this pastor and do this stuff? No, of course not. But I hadn't been through 15 years of preparation. My heart just wasn't in that place. Um, I don't fear people. People can be scary. I don't fear what might happen to me because I'm in God's hands. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be okay. It doesn't mean you're not going to get beaten. It doesn't mean you're not going to get robbed or anything like that or be put in super stressful situations. But it means that that's his purpose for me. Um, if I had said no to God and never stepped foot in this dump site and never done the things that we had done, Jose and I wouldn't have met. You know, now I have another friend. Not only do I have a friend, I have somebody that prays for me and I have somebody that's connected with, uh, with this similar calling. Um, and I came from, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah, my life was different too. I was one of those rich guys in the world. But I was poor. Mm -hmm. And now, although my bank account doesn't look the same as it did back then or my, my tax uh, returns, um, 
my life is rich. My life is rich of people who love me back. I'm going to ask a, a question that has actually occurred to me. Thanks, Dave, for that. When Pastor Jose was speaking, but I'm going to ask it of you first, Dave. And I'm going to paraphrase what I think I'm hearing from Pastor Jose. Now, I really don't want to establish a church here. It's Watts. You can have volunteers. And sometimes what I'm hearing people say, some folks have kind of had enough of this church thing. They've heard enough of this, um, these, I, 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 I got to be careful how I say this, the false prophets kind of thing. Let me put it that way. And Jesus had the same thing. People were really tired of the Pharisees and all of these officials and all of these pompous people. He, he walked in differently caring. So was your experience, Dave, when you first started going over to Kenya, somewhat similar to Pastor Jose's, where they didn't want church. They didn't want, you know, that, that organized religion kind of thing. But they wanted somebody that cared. And so was your walk structured that way, if that made sense, the way I just asked that? Yeah, no, I was completely different. I think what you're saying, too, is that people are tired of man's religion. And the expectation, I can tell you, I mean, I'm, Jose, I'm sure you experience this when you go to some other event and there's other church and pastors and things around and you look and you go like, wow, <laughs> I don't, what am I doing here with these guys that have it all together? I just serve people who live in a dump site. You know, it isn't that we have our acts all together, it's that we show up and we show up with, with God. And I think people are tired of man's religion and they're tired of the hypocrisy that's associated with it. We can talk about love all we want. We can talk about caring for our, you know, loving our neighbor all we want. Um, you know, but but the non-believer sees through it. And even believers at some point look and say, yeah, this is tired for me. My connection to our ministry was completely different. I was I got baptized at 46. Uh, seven months later, got asked to go on a short-term mission trip to, to Kenya. I went with my 13-year-old son, and God just broke my broke me. Uh, I, I made that dangerous prayer of break my heart for what breaks yours, and he did. And I came back, and I got my 10-year-old son and my wife, and we went right back. And ever since then, we've just continued to, more often than not, say yes to whatever it was that God had in store. And there was a very dry season for me. Um, I actually had probably six or seven years where most of my conversations were just with God. People didn't come around this thing I, that he had called me to do. Um, and I think that was a I think that was my desert. I think he was making me into somebody he could use. I think he was humbling me. I think he was, uh, you know, having me recognize for sure that this isn't something that Dave has done, but that this is God and I'm a, I'm a servant. I'm, um, and, uh, and so that's, that's really how, how I got started. I, I just, I, I kind of laugh at, 
there can't be anything more opposite than the excess of Wall Street than a dump site in Nakuru, Kenya. <laughs> and yet uh, 15,000 people there are people that I love. By the way, I love how you said that. I walked in the desert for six years and he figured out, I'm paraphrasing, how to make me into someone he could use. I, I, I love how I said it the way I heard it. Pastor mm-hmm. Jose, it, on, on the same question, if you remember how I set it up, was that the same kind of experience for you? Um, if you can remind me of the question, because I was so into uh, Dave's answer. <laughs> he, was, he was good. Essentially, I'll paraphrase what I said, that, that when you went in, they didn't want a church plan. You did some volunteers. And is part of that because people are tired of that organized religion or man's church kind of thing, the way Dave said it. Uh, was that kind of your sense as well? I absolutely agree. And, and, and here's, here's the reason. Um, right across the street from the park where we started our church, um, one of our original members, she's, she's been in our, at our church since day one. She's um, this beautiful uh, soul, you know, this African-American lady who's in her 50s. She's lived across the street all her life. Her grandfather built that house right across the street from the park. Now, there's a church less than a block away, which is African-American, on on, on 109th. Then there's another one on 111th. There's two African-American churches that have been there for 40 years. And this this lady would walk walk across the street every Sunday, every Thursday, every Wednesday, every uh, Friday to come to our church. Why? One day, you know, it's Sunday. Actually, I think it might have been the first day or one of those days. Um, you know, we're setting up chairs and, you know, it's set up, tear down every single, every single month, every single Sunday, I'm sorry, every single event. And so I'm wearing some nice jeans and some nice, you know, shoes, but I don't have my, my shirt on. I just have a t-shirt because, you know, we're setting up and, <laughs> and she's asking like, who's the pastor? And then, you know, I put my shirt on and then I go up front to preach and it's like, oh, that's the pastor. <laughs> you know why she comes to church? Because no longer was it a fashion show. Mm. No longer was it about the hats and the dresses and who was wearing what and who was giving what. And and if you were in the pastor circle and if you had paid for a pew or, you know, all these crazy things that I had never heard about. And and all of a sudden, this lady's like, she, she, she heard when we taught that Jesus wanted you to come as you are. And and she was blown about. She was blown away by that. She didn't know that. And she's been a lady who's been going to church her whole life. And so, you know, I, I think in in a lot of cases we we have it wrong. You know, um, we have it wrong in the sense that 
you know, church should be seven days a week, not a couple of hours on a Sunday, a couple hours on a Wednesday. Because people, especially in in my context, and I and I believe I can speak to David's context, will not hear a word you say that Sunday or that Wednesday unless they see it mm. Monday through Sunday. Mm. Amen. Amen. I just love that. Hundred percent. I, if I can just um, add on to one thing that Jose is saying is that, um, uh, you know, and. I was kind of, I was kind of lucky. I mean, God, God took this guy that for 46 years was just an American dream kid. I mean, there was no, I never went to church, never read the Bible, didn't know anything about any of that stuff. Um, my culture didn't, didn't uh, stress that my, uh, you know, in school, it doesn't stress it. Certainly on wall street, it doesn't stress it. You just don't hear any of that. But once your heart gets opened up to that, you know, you can respond, but what, one of the things as a non-believer, and I, again, I was into my 40, you know, in my 40s, is that it did seem that there was a high level of hypocrisy, but there was also a performance factor and a lot of judgment. And what was interesting is in Nakuru, in what what I what I see there is um pastors in Nakuru are the best dressed people in town. And Sundays, I mean, they are decked out. It is shiny pointy shoes three-piece suit my you know their wife is 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 you know dressed nines and you know if you come and believe you can be like us mm. and so when we opened our church at this dump site first of all though for a white guy to, to do it is just amazing is just you know kind of unheard of in in some ways uh to connect with a community like this but my opening Sunday, I was in jeans, a tennis shoe, tennis shoes, and I had a t-shirt on that had a cross that said, it's not about me. It's about him. I had 60 people, 60 adults come. And of the crowd, 25% were drunk. This is 10 o'clock in the morning. 25% are drunk. 15% are uh, high gang members. And the balance are pretty much single moms and grandmas that are just trying to figure life out. So worship that day was wild because of the way that people, you know, the state that people were in. <laughs> and the most amazing thing was, and, I, and please know, I've been there for over 10 years. They know I love them. I stood up to talk and they all sat down and they all just waited to hear what God had to say. And what they heard was, Everyone is welcome in the house of God, no matter who you are, where you live, what you've done. And over and over and over again, I get questions like, you know, do I have to stop doing this to come to Christ? Do I have to stop, you know, doing drugs? Do I have to stop doing these things? And my answer to that is, if you have think, if you're asking me, do I have to clean myself up and be spotless before I get saved? Absolutely not. I said, let's get saved, invite Jesus into our life and see what he does. Give him a chance. Mm. And, uh, and that's what our church looks like. <laughs> I love it. Oh, guys, thank you so much for, for both 
stories you just shared. I remember, I don't remember who even told me this, but he said that, you know, remember today you're probably going to meet someone that knows nothing about Jesus. So they need to see Jesus in you. And that has stuck with me ever since I, I heard that. And that's just exactly what you both described so eloquently. Pastor Jose, I, I need to ask you a question about the very powerful video on your website. And first Dave sent it to me, and then I watched it again today. You're talking about Watch, which was originally a planned community and that didn't work, right? It's, it's, a, it's a ghetto. And I'm paraphrasing how you say it in the video that no, no kid in Watts has to be taught to hit the ground, hit the floor when they hear gunshots, because it's instinctive, because it, it's just the environment. Well, given how I just said that, as you've been there now over 10 years, which is interesting, by the way, guys, you're your, your work is about the same period of time in terms of its development. Um, as you've been there now over 10 years and you work with all members of the community, maybe that's an exaggeration. How are you seeing your work impact these young kids that are in this environment that's just, just incredibly dangerous? How are you seeing the message that you're delivering influence the environment um I'm, I'm gonna be i'm gonna be completely honest with you that i think that in some cases the impact is that when one of these kids is on the ground bleeding they'll know who to cry out to because some kids they're just going to hear it and they're going to continue to to live that life that they that they see every single day they they worship um uh hip-hop artists they worship money you know they live in a in a in a really difficult environment and so for some kids the impact is that they've been exposed to the gospel the impact for some kids is that we've given them an alternative to what they're used to. And then with some kids, you know, the impact is that um, they, they have a church that they can come to. We, we help them get through school. We help them sign up for school. We help them with, uh, you know, getting into college. You know, they have a church that's part of their family because the difference with our church in other churches is that we're doing life with our families and our kids. Mm. And so our kids are learning worship. They're learning the Bible. And in some cases, you know what? Our kids, they're going to have a meal for that day. Did you hear me? Yeah. They're going to eat something that day. And you're thinking, right, Jose, are you in Naguru, Kenya, where there's no food or, or food I'm in one of the richest places of the world in Southern California. And we have kids who sleep on the floor, 
have one change of clothes and don't get a meal every day. A meal, not to mention three. And so we're 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 engaging this community in those places, in those experiences. And so for our kids to come to church on Sunday, and, and not only does it mean that they get to see their friends and they're there and they're loved and they're and they're corrected and they're disciplined in love, they're gonna they're we're not gonna tolerate their stuff because you know some of these kids are rough, but they're gonna have a meal that day. Uh, we have this amazing camp, and I and I love to share the video with you later on, and we're gonna have one in July. But we take, you know, the last time we went, we took 48 kids. I would dare to say that out of those 48 kids, about half of them, maybe a little less, for the first time in a while, will sleep on a bed, have three meals a day, and are not going to get cussed out by every little thing that they do or bullied or punked or beat down by a mistake that they make. And so that's how we impact our community because we're engaging. We're not doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same result. No, we're going and we are engaging with the gang members. And here's how I engage with them. Hey, uh, big, tall, scary guy, would you like something to eat? Hey, big, tall, scary guy, would you like a bottle of water because you're playing basketball and there's no water fountain? And all of a sudden, that just opens us up to a conversation. It opens us up to like, hey, what are you doing here? Well, let me tell you. And it all starts from there. And, and, and we've been doing it over and over and over again. And, you know, it's hard ground. You know, it's hard ground, um, but it's it's basically that. It's being able to engage the culture, the community, and 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 impacting um, and impacting them in a in a real way to them. Because you know, um, if James and James says it all, you know, like if if I say you know, go be blessed and be filled, and I don't fill that need. You know, if I'm saying like, hey, you know what, you know, go back home and I'll be praying for you when I know that he's that this child's going to get beat up or he's going to risk being gunned down and all that. And I don't share the gospel with them and I don't really explain to them how God loves them so much. Then guess what? You know, it's I'm not doing my job, you know, and my job is their heart. And all the other stuff just comes along with it. Mm, that's beautiful. Amen and thank you, Pastor Jose. And, and you could have just described my community. That experience of that child, that experience of the even the people, even the abusers, right? I mean, uh, God has put it on my heart that if I love those kids and want to help those kids, I have to help heal the abusers. And that can, that's a much bigger challenge than helping a cute little kid, <laughs> five-year-old, you know, yeah. and, and, and mine, Jose, mine, mine is, Hey, big, scary guy, like, cause, and new guys will show up in town and want to make reputations for themselves and they don't know me and all the rest. And they'll, they'll give me the eyeball. Cause like, what is that 
grandpa doing in this community by himself? Are you, you know, easy pickings and guys will come up and they'll start big, scary guys. They'll start to hassle me. And I'll, I'll just say, I'll go, you don't understand. I'm the safest guy in this city. I said, everyone around you is going to protect me because they know I love you. They know I love them. And in many cases, the only love they get. And so far, you know, that's that's been the case, or at least I, I'm, I'm kind of projecting on them. You know, you're not going to do anything to me because, you know, there, there's this thing. But um, it works, right, Jose? I mean, some people respond to that. Not everyone. But but you know what I you know what so so we we came in and we did this day I think do you do those events once a month in your community is that mm-hmm. it yeah so so they have neighborhood kids in and a meal once a month at the one of the basketball courts there in the projects and Jose said something to me he said you know this is the only evening that these kids are 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 safe to come out and do this that they're safe to come out and be a kid. And as I was driving back out of the community, I was thinking, the community allows you to have that day, Jose. They could take it from you. But they allow you to have that day because they've seen the love that you have, and they know that you're doing good for the community. And there's a glimmer of Jesus in there. And for right now, they give you that day. Maybe next year they'll give you two days. Maybe the you know you just you just never know. Um, but it was a beautiful thing, and I could see the dedication and love of a pastor impacting that community because in this in exceedingly violent place, it was safe for a night. Don't underestimate that, my friend. Don't underestimate what you're doing. Let me ask you this question for both of you. In terms of the family unit, whether it's in Nagoro or Watts, how fractured is it? What percentage of the homes have a mother and a father that are giving guidance to kids? What, what do you think that is? Start with you, Pastor Jose. So I'll give you this example. And I'll do it from my kids that I've been helping raise for the last 10 years. Um, I have, I had probably like about 15 to 20 kids that showed up at youth group on Friday, last Friday, and that showed up again for church on Sunday. And I would say that out of 20, two had a positive role model, but probably 19 of them do not have a a father or some sort of positive father figure in the home Mm. at all. And so these kids are being raised by the streets. They're being raised by the, the neighborhood, you know, whatever, you know, and some of these kids are being groomed for the worst things that you can ever think of. And so, yeah, that's kind Mm. of. Yeah. Again, he described my community. Um, What's a little bit different when you come to live in a dump site is that everything is broken. Everything. Um, and, and so I, I guess I can give you this example. We started doing some um, uh, sexual violence and, and uh, domestic violence 
um, awareness in our community. And we had our first meeting, 101 women came. And at the end of the, of the talk, we asked, if any of this is happening to you and you'd like to talk and you like counseling or whatever, you know, give us your contact information and we'll, and we'll meet you. And uh, 91 of the 101 women came forward saying that they were actively right now being abused. Mm. Wow. So we start, so now what do you do, right? You can't just say, oh, thanks for telling me that, you know, good luck. So now we, 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 uh, we actually formed um, some groups of these women that it's almost like a neighborhood watch. It's like, if you attack one of, one of us, you attack us all. <laughs> uh, and then we began to get phone calls in the middle of the night. This is happening. This abuse is happening right now. And actually, and, and actually, we now get calls every night, seven days a week. Uh, what's been amazing about it, actually, is um, when our person goes into the community to connect, and it's actually, it's, uh, she's, it's a woman, it's a British missionary, she's 37 years old, she goes into the community at midnight by herself. And because of the way that we have and the relationship that we have now with the gang guys, they actually come around her and say, we got your back. Mm -hmm. And it's because they feel the love and it's like, we're family too. And they want some of these, some of this activity to stop. And so it's just, that's just where we are. And hopefully next month we have scheduled that we're going to open a, a 12 bed rescue center, a safe house so that we have somewhere to, to bring these women and children that are uh, actually in, in desperate, very threatening situations. Hey guys, in a minute, I'll ask you to uh, share with me and for Mike seminary and friends, contact information in terms of website, how people can best support your work and what you'd like them to do when they go there. I'll also have that information on mikeseminary.com. But before we do that, Pastor Jose, I, I, I get, I'm going to ask you a kind of a self-serving question. As a former city commissioner and mayor, 10 years in those roles of responsibility, and the father of a daughter that is now police officer, Morgan Seminary, you shared some really important information about your relationship and the investment, the partnership with LAPD during a time where there are so many people that I think don't understand the difficult job they have. Share with us your relationship with LAPD and some of the ways they're helping you and the community. So I, I guess for me that I, I'm blessed because LAPD created a whole division. And I don't know if it's a division, but it's called CB, uh, Community Safety Partnership Bureau. And that kind of came out of the whole 2020 defund the police, you know, drama. And actually, it actually started before that, but, but now they, it became a bureau. But basically, it's community policing. 
the thing about it is that even though I was a criminal, you know, it's almost like I wanted to be a cop when I was a kid. You know, who doesn't want to be a cop or a fireman or an astronaut, right? But I couldn't be a cop, so, you know, I became a great criminal. And and uh, it's funny because the the officer that's there on the uh, – on the uh, on the article, his name is uh, uh, James Coughlin. Uh, um, or is it John Coughlin? I, will, I always call him Coughlin, but then somebody calls him James, Jimmy. I don't know. Anyway, so Officer Coughlin. <laughs> you know, him and I always joke around that he could have never caught me. Um, but the thing is that I always had, you know, you, you always have respect for... I mean, I, at least I did. I had I had that respect for authority, and so um, because we we do work in, you know, we do so many things like that are completely that doesn't look at like a church, but it looks like serving the community. So God made a name for us in this community as we serve. So naturally, when when someone's hurt, when something happens, you know, I've done funerals for gang members. I've done all these different things, you know, like we've put up, you know, uh, women that are being abused or homeless in, in hotels. And so we've done all this stuff that you begin to get called upon by these officers, but then you get to know who they are. You know, you get to know that they have three kids, that they have a house, that that they hired a contractor who sucks and now their wall is falling down or like the stucco is messed up or whatever but but what i mean what who cares about that right well the reason why i'm saying that is because you get to realize or you realize that these are just they're they're just human beings they're just they're just they're just like us now here's the problem the problem is that you have ordinary people with yes training with yes, you know, uh, I, I guess, you know, good pay or whatever, educated. You you have these people that now are given an impossible job mm. because now they have to perform perfectly every single time. Look, I'm gonna tell you something and 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 I'm gonna be I'm gonna be raw. I was a criminal in my past life. And the reason why criminals like me don't get caught or get away with things is because the criminal is operating with no rules. They're operating with it. At times, I had an, I had an unlimited budget. Well, my boss did. But we didn't have a budget. We could just spend money on buying cars, houses, weapons, communications, we didn't have a budget. But the cops, they have to follow the rules. Well, guess what? Right now, if I was a criminal, I would be so rich right now because there's no rules. Mm. I can go and shoot somebody and make sure that they don't die, you know, then shoot another person, then rob a bunch of people. And I will get in the city of LA a month time serve for two attempted murders and four armed robberies. Wow. 
hello, Uh there's no circumstances. So here you have these people who are regular people who want to go home to their families, put in a very difficult position. Right now, we are in crisis mode. You know, 2021, we had 22 murders in a two and a half square mile radius. 22 murders. 2019 and 18, 2018, 2019, and 2020, we had, I think, like maybe two each year. So we went from three years of having six murders to 22 in one year. Not to mention the robberies, uh, the, the property theft, all this other stuff. We got what we asked for. Mm. You know, there's a small amount of people saying, oh, police brutality and this and that. You know, when I was afraid of a cop, when I was committing a crime, when I didn't have a gun in the car and I didn't have dope in the car, pull me over all you want. I don't care. What are you, I mean, I don't have anything. But the moment that I was riding with a gun under my seat and, you know, dope in the car, then I was freaking out, of course. It, it, the Bible says that, you know, like he's carrying a sword for a reason and you shouldn't be afraid of that sword unless you have some, a reason why to be afraid of it. Mm, mm, amen. Thank you, Pastor Jose. So Pastor Jose, what's the best way for people to reach you and your organization, your church, and, and how would you like people to support your work? So the best way to reach us is, you know, go to our website, hopecentralwatts.com. It's we're, we're, we're cleaning it up. It looks pretty good so far, but there's some stuff that is missing, but there, uh, you can, you can reach me at jhernandez at hopecentralwatts.com. And um, I'll even give you guys my phone number, 562-207-7291. But, you know, like anything, we are doing something that hasn't been done in this community before. And our church is there all, all the time. And so when you have kids from the projects who come and we feed them and we transport them and we take care of their, their sports bills and things like that, they, they don't have very much to offer. But God, you know, through ministries in Colorado and Washington in South Orange County, you know, now don't get me wrong, you know, God has provided even organically through our ministry, but we do need financial help. And so that would be one. Two, if you're ever in LA and you want to come by and take a tour, I'll put you in a patrol car with with uh with Officer Coughlin and he'll show you the real deal of what goes on in a day. But then, too, you know, if people, if there are churches that are associated with this podcast and want to do a short-term missions trip here in the U.S. to a place where we're not in Kansas anymore, like this is the real deal, and want to come and and, and serve, we, we can do, we can plan a, a short missions trip for your youth, for your young adults, or you want to send me an intern pastor to to live out here in in the hood for, for a summer, 
I would I would welcome it because you will you will gain a ton of knowledge of of just in an in an orthodox way of reaching uh, a community in crisis, mm. and and so we'd love to to get all of that, any of that, you know. There you go. Thank you for sharing all the information. I'm going to put some people on the dime and have them do something. Dave, how about you? Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. And you can you can see why I love Pastor Jose so much. I mean, we have this this kind of shared experience. I mean, as I'm sure as as I was saying things, Jose, you're like, yeah, that's just like my neighborhood, and uh, and, and so it's this human condition. And what's awesome is that people can help right where they are um, and they can help where God is calling them. Um, if it's a community like, like, like ours in, in Africa um, where there really aren't a lot of resources, um, people can go to www.livingstoneglobal.org. You can email me at Dave at livingstoneglobal.org and my phone number in the U S is 209-768-9536. I'd be happy to talk with you. Um, we do have uh, child sponsorships. I think we're going to begin a, like an, a, an adopt a survivor type program. So you can come alongside these women and children that have just experienced domestic violence. They need solutions and, and resources on how they can get, you know, where are they gonna live? How are they gonna make a living? How are they going to support their kids, all the rest, so they can get out of these abusive situations? Um, um, but it isn't just money. And I think that's what Jose was saying, is that we also need people. And the beautiful thing is, and what if you're listening to this, you may not recognize this, but you need it too. If God is tugging on your heart in any way uh, to do something, Please pick up the phone, call Jose, call me, reach out to Mike, see what's up. You know, Mike's a little less scary than both of us. You know, he lives in a different place. It might be cold, but, uh, you know, uh, the snow will melt. Um, uh, Jose mentioned the book of James. James was Jesus's brother. There's no one that knew Jesus better than James. And he had listened to Peter and he had listened to Paul and he listened to everybody else do their preaching and he he read uh, gospels and all the rest, but he got down to something at the end and he said, Hey, I know, you know, all that stuff, but I want to make sure knowing my brother, like I did that you get it. It's not enough to know you've got to do it. And you don't have to be perfect at it. Look at Jose's and my backgrounds, polar opposite serving similar communities on opposite ends of the world, just because that's what God does. I, I know we got to wrap up, but I wanted to mention one thing, and maybe Jose wants to um, expand on it. One of the things I think that God put on, his, on, on Pastor Jose's heart, which I thought was the coolest thing ever, is he said, hey, if somehow we can, can raise the funds, could I bring some of my kids to come to Nakuru and connect with your community? Um, I think that would be a neat thing. Um, I don't know if you want to expand on that at all, Jose, why that, why that was. Uh, so most of our kids, even though I'm a Hispanic pastor in the youth pastors, Korean, most of our kids, you know, in our youth group are black. 
with no father and probably no kind of a positive influence at home. But one of the things is that as we've taken some of these kids to, we've taken them to different places, we've been able to really give them hope because context means a lot. And so to take some of my kids who are black to Africa and to show them that, you know, they don't have it as bad. I think as someone in a dump city in Africa, I think could really change their life. And so it's, uh, it's, it's on my heart, you know, and I know that God, you know, gives us the desires of our hearts because it's, it's for his kingdom and for his glory. And so I pray that, you know, probably not this year, but definitely next year that we can take, even if it's just a couple of kids, take them to, to Naguru, Kenya. I, I already put it out there and the kids were just excited. So, yeah. Well, guys, um, thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for taking time to join me today for sharing the information. The other thing that we can do is we can pray for you. We can pray for your work. We can pray for the people that you're working with because there's such power in prayer. In fact, in, in, my, in my way to kind of pray, I want to read a passage from Habakkuk because it, it's, I think it's just so relevant. Here's this prophet that he was living in a country where there was so much violence and injustice, and it was just evil. Kind of sounds like a lot of neighborhoods, right? Um, and so he's praying for help. And here's in chapter three, part of his prayer. And this is specifically for what you're doing. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the field produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. I mean, it doesn't get much more desperate than that, does it? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The Lord is my strength. He makes me my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to go on the heights. And that's what the people you're serving, that's what they're having the blessing of experiencing that that's you guys and what you're doing. So God bless you. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Uh, and I'm just busted. I've had the opportunity to get to know both of you and that you join me today. Anything else you want to share before we wrap it up? We, then time is no problem here. We can go on for hours if you like, <laughs> but go ahead, Dave. I'm, I was just thinking, no, Jose's got people lined up, ready to go. Um, I just want to thank you for the time. I want to thank you for your heart to uh, come alongside people. You know, people like Jose's and my stories, they were too busy doing the thing. We're too busy serving to, to, to get this out there. Um, that's even one of the reasons why I, I wrote this book is because missionaries and, and pastors that are in these type of environments, we are overwhelmed. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough hours in the day. And so to be able to share our story, there's just other high, higher priorities. Um, but as I came out of a pretty traumatic experience myself I, a little over a year ago, I started to write it down to get healthy. You know, it was a therapeutic thing, and it turned into this 
message in this book that um, God wanted me to be able to share with the church and even with um, people who, who don't yet believe. Uh, it's an encouragement. Uh, it's a book called I'm Not a Grasshopper. And I would love it if people would read it, share it with their friends um, and, uh, and help show some of the good things that God's doing in some of these very, very difficult places that people Amen. avoid. Yeah. Hey guys, thank you so much. I'm, I'm going to invite you back on at another time to circle back and talk about your work. God bless you and God bless the work you're doing. I appreciate you so much. Thank, thank you. Man. God thank bless. You. Yep. God bless.